Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to our latest sermon, a sermon on Psalm 66. This sermon is not part of our regular schedule. Last week my family came down with COVID, since some of you might ask. We're all doing just fine, thanks. Anyway, my friend Rusty was willing and able to preach despite the short notice. The sermon you are about to hear is from him. Thanks for preaching, Rusty. Next week we will begin a series of sermons on a model church called Antioch a church that you can read about in the book of Acts. I think it is going to be an important series, so make sure to come back for that. Until then, thank you again for listening. I hope that this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. Today we're going to be in Psalm 66. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 66. Uh, This is something that my church has been going through uh, we've been walking through just kind of selected psalms. I, I love the psalms. I love the psalms. Psalms are they're a combination of prayers, but also theology. And one thing I love about the psalms is, is if you dig into them, you really see that the writers, and, and primarily the writers of psalms are going to be David. However, as you, as you go further along, you begin to have some other writers but just the emotion, the ups and downs that you see, that by the way, the, the Psalms are, are, are inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so whenever you start feeling maybe a little guilty that, you're, that your emotional life is this, dive into the Psalms. Because you'll see that the writers of the Psalms, the prayers, the songs that they're writing, they're all over the board. And man, that just kind of gives me permission. That, kind of, that, that gives me permission to say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to be a little emotional today. But that's okay, because I'm reading your Psalms, and I'm praying according to your Psalms. So Psalm 66. Psalm 66 is, is, is one that I started reading uh, devotionally a number of weeks ago. And um, it struck me for a couple reasons. We're going, to, we're going to start off, and, uh, and, and we're going to see some of, the, some of this emotion uh, from, from the writer here. So, so this is what we have. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies cringe before you. All the earth bows down to you. They sing praise to you. They sing the praise of your name. Come and see what God has done. His awesome deeds for mankind. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the waters on foot. Come, let us rejoice in them. He rules forever by his power. His eyes watch the nations. Let not the rebellious rise up against him. So we, we start with this psalm with praising God. He moves, if, if you look, he moves, verse 5, he moves into evangelism. Come all the nations. Now, I've, I've read that people now are... are are asking different questions than, than whenever I was 18, 19, 20 years old. 
The question now, the first question being asked in evangelism is not, does God exist, but rather, is God good? And if, if that question can be answered, God is good, then people tend to move to the next question of, okay, well, if, if he's good, then let me ask the question, does he exist? And the idea is, I don't care if God exists if he's not good. Because even if God exists, but he's not good, I'm not going to serve, I'm not going to praise, I'm not going to give my life to him. So first I have to answer the question, is he good? Then I'm going to deal with, does he even exist? And when I read Psalm 66, particularly starting in verse 5, it's an invitation into the beauty of Christ. It's an invitation into God's beauty. And I think about that in my own life as, as I'm at work on Monday or as I'm, as I'm at the coffee shop. I think about that because there are people who, when they confront the question of, of God, what's the first thing I'm going to say to them? And, and my hope is the first thing I'm going to say to them, the first place I'm going to point them is to the beauty of God. Is to the beauty of God. Look at what he says again. Come and see what God has done. His awesome deeds for all mankind. The beauty of God. Look, look at what he's done for us. We live in a part of the country where people say that I can worship God and I prefer to worship God by myself on the trail, on the mountain, on the water. And the invitation is, Look at, God, look at what God has done for, with creation, for us with creation. And that's a great place to start. That's a great place to start. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. Romans chapter 1 talks about no one has an excuse because of creation points to God. So come and see what God has done. But look at what he does in the next verse, the, the writer he turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the waters on foot. Now, who's they? That's Israel. So he says, come and see what God has done. Big picture. But then he, then he brings it down. Come and see the beauty of God in my life. And Christ is beautiful in my life. What he's done in my life, what he has brought me through, what he's bringing me through, what, because he did that in the past, he's going to do it again. If you look at the Old Testament, and as, you, as you're reading through the Old Testament, you'll see that, that pre-Babylonian exile, they were constantly pointing to Egypt. They were constantly pointing to, just like what this writer is doing, constantly pointing to the Red Sea, reminding themselves time and time again what God has done, what God has done, what God has done. And then you'll see, after uh, God brought them back from the exile, the writers were constantly pointing back what God has done. He brought us back. He brought us back. He brought us back. And it's a great reminder for us, because so, so our life is not this, right? The trajectory of our life is not this. The trajectory of our life is here, then here, and then here, then here, and then here, then here. I, I love the Oregon Trail. 
I, I love just thinking about what, like the, the thought of me driving across country, which I've done, driving across country, again, is exhausting. But those who walked, those who did the Oregon Trail, if you've ever driven across Kansas, it is like the never-ending wasteland. And as I've talked to people who've driven across Kansas, we kind of have a bond together. See, have you driven across Kansas? There's a bond there. I would encourage you to do it once in your life, just so you understand the purgatory that is driving across Kansas. But imagine being in a wagon. You make it across Kansas just to see the Rockies. When I was in college, on spring break, we used to do a lot of trips. And so one trip, we, uh, a, a van loaded up of us. We, we all loaded up. We drove to New York. Another time, we all loaded up, and we drove to go skiing at Copper Mountain in, in the Rockies. And as you get past Kansas and you go into Colorado, you hit the radio button, search, and it just keeps going. There's nothing out there. Even now, there's nothing out there. And I think about those people who, in the wagon train, made it across Kansas in the elements only to see the gigantic mountains that are the Rockies. Our life is like that. It's not not just things are going to get better and we're going to be great. It's things are going to go here, then they're going to go here, then they're going to go here, then they're going to go here. I believe the Holy Spirit uses that and is constantly pointing back for the the Israelites, pointing back and saying, hey, remember what God has done. Because if he did that then, he's going to rescue again. If he redeemed then, he's going to redeem now. Go on. I have to flip the the page here, but but go on to to verse 8. Verse 8 through 12, we're going to finish in in 12. Verse 8 through 12 are, to to me, they're they're kind of remarkable. Because, Because listen to what he says. Praise our God, all peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. For you have preserved our lives and kept our feet from slipping. So verse 8. And, and nine, it's all about praise. Look at, look at verse 10. For you tested us and refined us like silver. You brought us into prison. Out of prison? No, into prison. You laid burdens on our back. You let people ride over our heads. We went through fire and water. Verse 8 and 9, he starts by saying, praise God. Praise God, look at all that he's brought us into. And he starts by saying this, you refined us like silver. Now, the process of refining any precious metal is to stick it in fire. In fact, Ezekiel 22, the prophet Ezekiel 
is, is talking to the nation of Israel, and he said, you are like the slag, the worthless slag. You are the dross that you were put into the fire, and all the impurities came up. Here he's saying, you refined us, meaning you put us into the fire. God, I praise you because you put me into the fire. I praise you because all the impurities in my life were burned away and you scraped off of me. I think sometimes when we're being refined by the fire, our first response is not praise God because you're refining me, but why God are you putting me in the fire? I also think that if we're not careful, and listen, I, I, I've told this to my church, I would, I would have been a phenomenal Pharisee. I would have been great. And I think it's very easy when you see someone being refined in God's fire to say, hmm, I wonder what's going on in their life that God's putting them through that. Instead of saying, Man, God's refining them for something better, for something greater. Being refined in the fire, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. So if you find yourself feeling like you are in the fire, that might just be God's grace in your life. And, and look, at the, look at what the writer says. He recognizes that this is God's grace in their life. It doesn't feel like it. Praise our God, all peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. You have preserved our life and kept our feet from slipping. For you, God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison. Doesn't sound like God's grace. He recognizes it as God's grace. You laid burdens on our back. You let people ride over our heads. That does not sound like God's grace in anyone's life. He recognizes it as God's grace. We went through fire and water. But now look at this next sentence. But you brought us to a place of abundance. Man, I love that. See, he can start verse 8, this little section, he can start verse 8 with praise because he knows that the end of verse 12 is God brings us to abundance. God brings us to abundance. Now, the, the abundance, it might not be a new boat. Okay? Abundance might not be that job promotion. The abundance that God gives us is himself. The best thing God can give us is himself, not his stuff, right? He may bless us with some stuff. He might. He blessed Abraham and David and Solomon and, and Lydia and Joseph of Arimathea. The, the, the list goes on. 
But, but, but let's not fall into thinking and into reading that word abundance and thinking stuff. Let's read that word abundance and recognize that it means him. The best thing he can give us is himself. Let's go on and, 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 and finish this. For I will come to your temple with burnt offerings and fulfill my vows to you, vows my lips promised and my mouth spoke when I was in trouble. I will sacrifice fat animals to you and an offering of rams. I will offer bulls and goats. Come and hear all you who fear God. Let me tell you what he's done for me. Guys, that's testimony. Like sharing our faith. If you're here and you're a believer in Christ, sharing our faith is just simply, let me tell you what God's done for me. Let me tell you where I was. Let me tell you where I am. Verse 17, I cried out to him with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. That's, that's a pretty good warning for us, by the way. If I had cherished sin in my heart, my prayer would have fallen on deaf ears. By the way, God tells Jeremiah, stop praying for these people. Yeah. But God has surely listened and heard my prayer. Man, what a great promise. What a great promise. Praise be to God who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love from me, but gave it in abundance. But gave it in abundance. In just a couple minutes, we're going to, we're going to take communion together. And if you're a believer in Christ, that's something that, that we get to participate, not just with each other, but capital C church around the world and church around the world for the last 2,000 years. So when we read verse 13 through 15, I will come to your temple with burnt offerings to fulfill my vows. I will sacrifice fat animals to you, an offering of rams, offer bulls and goats. Guys, Jesus did that on the cross for us. Jesus did that on the cross. His sacrifice, as Hebrews tells us, once and for all. Once and for all. And so that's what we celebrate with communion. His sacrifice once and for all. Not just him on the cross, but the empty tomb. That he's alive. And that as we read verse 19, he hears our prayers. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending your son. Lord, we thank you for hearing our prayers. Lord, for those of us who feel like we are going through the fire, Lord, I pray that you can shift our perspective and that we'll see that we're actually being refined. Lord, as we take communion together, I pray that we can remember that we have you in abundance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.